Welcome in everyone to this trade deadline recap episode of the Batfoot Podcast. My name is Damien here with David and Matt. Today, it's all about the trade deadline that was just about two hours ago as of recording this. Uh, you know, since the last time we've talked to you, we've had about 40 plus trades happen. Uh, we're going to break down close to 20, 25 of them. Um, and then we'll mention kind of some of the other ones that happened. But before we get into all that, David, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, you know, the, you know, in the last week, my team went on a run, bought a player, very exciting, uh, had a good weekend, got a, you know, a good a little date night and stuff. So had a, had a nice weekend, but you know, overall today I, I was regretting big, not taking off work. I was, uh, glued to the, glued to the, the trade deadline rumors and stuff. It was rather compelling, but, uh, ultimately ended up being, I would say a little disappointing overall, I think, but uh, I'm sure we'll hear more from the Dodgers fan. He'll be a lot more disappointed than I am. How are you doing, Matt? Braves didn't really do anything this week. Yeah, I'm doing. Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Um, the Braves, uh, yeah, they didn't do a ton. It's kind of disappointing to me, but um, they, uh, you know, it, it was an interesting trade deadline in the way that nothing really happened. I mean, there were a few big trades, but we talked about this being like a huge seller's market. There were so many. There were so few teams to sell. And uh, it ended up being that ended up being the case. But uh, yeah, everything's been good this week. Um, just I uh, went to the beach this past weekend, so that was interesting and uh, not super relaxing trip, but it was it was good. And uh, yeah, we'll um, we'll get into it. How are you doing, Damien? Oh boy, um, Eduardo Rodriguez did not become a Dodger, so we'll get into that one a little bit. But um, you know, the trade deadline was fun it was eventful but then at the same time it wasn't it was one of the more tepid deadlines we've seen um even that us saying we saw 40 plus trades um since the last week that we talked but uh you know we kind of got some action from teams that we didn't expect i.e like the mets kind of sold off some more than we thought and then teams like the padres the cubs um you know were teams that kind of stand pat a little bit more so it was a it was a fun week fun day today but overall was a little bit head scratching in uh, some of the moves but uh what do we say just we just go ahead and jump in kind of chronological breakdown as they went yep uh last wednesday was kind of yep. when it started off the marlins and the twins did a reliever swap jorge lopez for dylan floro uh lopez was a reliever got traded last deadline has an extra year of control not been great this year marlins betting on the upside there dylan floro has been pretty decent this year but he's a free agent at the end of the year twins just wanted to get a guy that's been better right now for their run. So that's one trade. We're not going to break this one down, but uh, moving on to the next one, the Dodgers and the guardians made an interesting trade. I believe it was last Wednesday as well. Uh, trading uh, the Dodgers traded Noah Syndergaard to the guardians while they acquired a shortstop Ahmed Rosario. Yeah, this one was interesting to me in the way that both of these players have been terrible this year. Um, Noah Syndergaard has a 6.68 ERA. He spent a lot of time on the IL. Um, his velocity is down uh, over one and a half miles per hour again, which, you know, this guy used to be that flame-throwing 100-mile-an-hour fastball guy. Now it's down to 90, under 93 miles per hour on the average fastball, which is pretty bad. Uh, not getting any strikeouts. He's, he's really, really struggled. And uh, then uh, Ahmed Rosario has had a couple of decent years with Cleveland, but this year he's been horrible. An 88 WRC plus, um, you know, just a 309 on base percentage, playing pretty bad defense at shortstop. So the one thing he does have is he has speed, 
and he can hit lefties pretty well. So I think that, um, you know, maybe the Dodgers brought him in as a guy who at worst is, is a speed guy. I mean, he can run, he can pinch run if you need him to, uh, and then, the, you know, the Cleveland needs some pitching depth, and maybe they feel like they can figure something out with Cindergaard. I don't really know. I, they've had pretty good luck with pitchers in the past, but I, I just don't see Cindergaard factoring in too much. So, Yeah, so Cindergaard in his first start uh, with Cleveland yesterday threw five and a third one-run ball against uh, Houston because, of course, he did. Um, and then Ahmed Rosario is going to be pl- most of his playing time against lefties. He has like an 830 OPS and looks batting like 300 against lefties. Um, so he factors being there, shortstop, second, outfield. Um, let's move over to the next one, which was a really interesting trade when it happened because, you know, we were talking this whole deadline. We thought Shohei Otani was going to move. Uh, well, we got rumors last Wednesday night that, you know, Shohei was going to be off the market and the Angels were going to try and buy. And about 30 minutes after that, we got a trade where the Angels acquired probably one of the top uh, you know, starting pitchers on the market at the time of Lucas Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez as a reliever and sent back catcher Edgar Cuero and left-handed pitcher Kai Bush back to the White Sox. So, David, what do you think about this one? I am... I was surprised when Edgar Cuero was put into this trade, right? And, and then especially with Kai Bush, I think they were the two and three prospects for the Angels per pipeline. And you know, Edgar Cuero is a 20-year-old catcher hitting in double-A with like a 350 on base percentage, right? He's a big walk guy, still young, not much power, but a really, really good plate approach. And that's the type of thing that I think, you know, I would have considered very, very valuable, right? I, I'm not sure why that he was gone in a rental trade right like uh, Reynaldo Lopez and Luis Lucas Giolito are both going to be free agents at the end of the season what is refreshing is that the Angels are going for it they're adding around Shohei Otani and while they're definitely mortgaging their farm system because these are probably their two best trade chips uh, they go out they get their pitcher in Giolito they probably could extend him uh you know giolito's been pretty mediocre this year and he was downright bad last year after having three straight really strong seasons uh before that where he had five wins above replacement in 2019 two wins above replacement in the shortened season in 2020 and then 4.1 wins above replacement in 2021 so that's kind of the upside you're getting with lucas giolito the angels definitely needed another starting pitcher Giolito can anchor them. Reynaldo is going to be a solid, if not spectacular, reliever. Um, but this trade's all about Giolito, and the prospects going back are pretty substantial, and it kind of set the tone for what we're going to see later because I think a lot of the prospects that went later are based around this deal where a couple of top one, a top 100 prospect in Cuero and then maybe a top 150 prospect in Bush both go for a rental pitcher and I we're going to see that again where big name prospects going for for rental pitchers yeah I want to add uh, Edgar Cuero is a guy that I think he reminds me a little bit of Kybert Ruiz um, as a guy who's a fringe defensive catcher like he's he, there's a chance he ends up being able to stick and he's okay but you know he's just so he's not great and then he's a great plate discipline guy without a lot of power so that might be, I think, having them as like a top 50 prospect. I think some some people are, have you know, I think the Angels might be valuing him a little bit different from that in this trade. And uh, Kai Bush has been really, really rough in the minor leagues this year. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens with it. I, I think uh, Giolito isn't as good as 
maybe his reputation because of the way he pitched for a few years there. But you never know. Get a guy out of the White Sox organization right now might you know it might help help him improve. So uh, we'll see. It's good to see the Angels going for it though. Yeah, it is. Uh, so another trade we had happened was the Brewers acquired first baseman Carlos Santana from the Pirates uh, for shortstop Johnny Severino. Uh, Brewers first base production has been downright awful this year. Uh, Roddy Telez has not been good. Uh, so they get a rental bat there who's proven to be a good clubhouse guy and can hit for a decent amount of power and Pirates get a prospect for their future. Uh, but the next trade that we had happened was the Marlins and the Mets. Uh, Marlins acquire closing pitcher David Robertson from the Mets for infield prospect Marco Vargas and catcher, catcher Ronald Hernandez. Uh, so, Matt, what do you think about this one? This is an interesting trade. Uh, David Robertson has been really good this year um, for, the, for the Mets. He, he especially, you know, in that closer role after Edwin Diaz was uh, got injured in the World Baseball Classic. Um, you know, so that was a good move. I, I think that the Marlins bullpen had some has a couple good pieces at the back end and Tanner Scott, AJ Puck, but they really needed another guy, especially a right hander since they just traded away Dylan Floro. So bringing in uh, bringing in Robertson is, is probably an upgrade over that. And uh, the prospects they got back, Marco Vargas is a young guy. He's only a uh, 18 years old. He's played in the complex league. Uh, so that's kind of interesting. And then Ronald Hernandez, I believe, uh, I, I believe it's kind of a similar type of thing, except he's a catcher. So, um, you know, like he's 19 years old. He's still in the complex league, but it's put up pretty decent numbers there. So it's, um, you know, a couple of pretty, you know, I guess, okay prospects, you know, that guys that have a shot and they're really young for a rental reliever who's having a really good season. So it kind of made, kind of checked out for me. This signaled the Mets rebuild as well, right? Like this was kind of the message they were sending was we're sending David Robertson, a closer in division. Uh, And I think that's also a kind of noteworthy because we weren't sure they were going to sell or at least sell big, but if you've been following along, you know what's coming. And and this was kind of the, the tipping point for sure was we're going to sell within division, which means we're not planning on competing this year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the next trade, uh, we had the Dodgers and the White Sox uh, line up. I believe this one was on Friday. Uh, the Dodgers acquire starter Lance Lynn and relief pitcher Joe Kelly. Uh, and the White Sox got back relief pitcher Nick Nestrini. Um pitcher Jordan Leisure and outfielder Trace Thompson. Um, I guess I'll talk more about the prospects real quick since I probably know more about them. Nestrini is going to yeah. be uh, like a number four or five starter. Uh, it's got a really good fastball uh, slider curveball. Uh, struggles with command a lot. Um, you know, almost about five walks per nine, but he strikes out a ton of people. Um, was just really blocked in the Dodger system. Um, at the end of the day, you know, they, they, it was a, they were trading from depth here. Um, Jordan Leisure is a guy who is most likely going to be like a powerful, powerful bullpen arm, um, you know, potential closer, big time fastball, nasty slider. Also another guy who kind of struggles with command at times, um, six, three, two fifteen. Sometimes his mechanics can get out of whack. Um, so another guy where, you know, you, you don't mind trading a bullpen arm at the end of the day. And then Trace Thompson, uh, you know, Dodgers acquired him last year to be a bat for them, and he went absolutely insane. Um, 
yeah, 268, 364, we hit 13 homers and like 240 at bats. Uh, really came into this year supposed to be against lefties, uh, their guy, and just really struggled. Uh, has been out for I think two months with like a strained oblique now, and he's getting traded back to a place where uh, where he once played. I think he started his career there actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and then getting Lance Lynn, you know, rotation arm. They needed starters and. He was certainly a starter. Uh, you're hoping that you can bounce back, you know, fix him a little bit. He has a, what, a 647 ERA. It's his worst ERA of his career, but he has his highest strikeouts per nine this year. FIP of, or an ex-FIP of 401. So not as bad as the ERA says, but, um, you know, good, good guy innings eater um, that will help in that rotation. And then bringing Joe Kelly back. Um, relief pitcher, nasty stuff. He'll be in a high leverage situation, struggles with walks, but uh, is electric when he's on. Wouldn't, wouldn't shock me that if Lance Lynn goes and has a really good second half here with the Dodgers, make some adjustments. It wouldn't shock me. Yeah, and he's yeah, fine I for think next Lance year. Lynn... Yep, he's got a club option. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I think Lance Lynn is a guy that uh, I think he's – it's hard to it's hard to say because he's got a, he getting hit so hard this year, but you know he's still striking guys out. So we'll see what happens. It's definitely a buy low. And Joe Kelly, I want to mention he's got like a three ten x fit, which is the best of his career, and a three twenty seven fit, a three twenty seven expected ERA. Even though he has like a five ERA, so that could be a pickup that is a lot better than it looks. His velocity is also up three miles per hour this year. So definitely, uh, definitely interesting to see Joe Kelly in that move. Yeah. Uh, so the next trade that we had to happen was the Astros and white Sox, uh, and the Astros reacquired, uh, relief pitcher, Kendall Graveman and the white Sox acquired another catcher this time in Corey Lee. So David, what do you think about this one? So this is going to start a trend, right? We saw Trace Thompson go back to his old team with the White Sox. A lot of guys going back to their old team uh, in this deadline. It, yeah, Joe Kelly We also went back to a, to an old team in the, in the Dodgers. Uh, Corey Lee has lost a lot of the shine that had him as a top 100 prospect before this season. He's really looking like a, a kind of an almost an Austin Hedges type of player. We'll get to Austin Hedges later in this one as well. But just a, a catcher that it's going to be a backup. He can't really hit for any sort of above league average reliability, but he'll be a solid reliever or reliever, a receiver um, and, and game caller for uh, for the White Sox. Certainly, kind of a bridge catcher uh, to go into with you know life without Yasmani Grandal, who's a free agent after this season. Uh, but he, you shouldn't expect him to be like an impact starter or anything. Kendall Graven's going back to a situation where, you know, he was, you know, in several playoff runs with the, uh, the Astros and uh, he'll, he'll slot in nicely in the eighth inning for them in front of Ryan Presley. So, uh, you know, Graveman's been solid this year, if not, you know, really all that, you know, impactful. Um, but ultimately, I mean, this is a pretty reasonable swap values there, right? Post hype prospect for, uh, you know, impact, but older reliever on an expiring deal. Uh, actually, no, he's got a year, a year more of control after this. So he'll, he'll be with the Astros yeah. again next year as well. So, um, you know, Graveman, he's been a little wild this year, but I think this will be a, a fine move and he'll get back to how he was in Houston in 2021. Yeah. I really don't like this move at all from the Astros. I thought, <laughs> uh, Graveman really hasn't been good at all this year. He's got a 3:40 ERA, which isn't terrible, but he's got a 483 FIP. His strikeouts are down by a pretty good bit, and his walks are up a pretty good bit. He's actually been worth negative war this year. 
and he's you know he signed through next year on and you know for eight million dollars which isn't which isn't too bad if he was still pitching pretty well but i mean he his trend has been down the last couple of years too and i think that um you know giving up on Corey lee i i don't hate moving Corey lee for the astros uh, he's he is definitely get he he's gotten passed up by another guy in their organization that catcher that's a you know was is a rookie this year so i think that he's definitely not going to be part of their long-term plans but I mean, and like you say, he could end up being on Austin Hedges, Jeff Mathis, one of those types of guys. But he, you know, giving up, you know, just it seems like they didn't really get anything for him. So I don't know. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump over to the next one, which was one of our first kind of big blockbusters of the deadline. And that was the Rangers and the Mets coming to uh, an agreement on the Rangers acquiring Max Scherzer and Cash. Uh, which Max has opted into his contract for next season. Uh, and they're acquiring $35 million from the New York Mets uh, for prospect Luis Angel Acuna. Um, you know, with the Robertson move we talked about earlier, that was kind of the sign of them selling. This was really the first big sign that they were really kind of resetting for this year. Um, so Matt, I know we've all talked a lot about this one in our group chat, but what do you think about this deal? Well, I hate it because I'm a Braves fan and I don't like the Mets. And this was a great deal for the Mets. Um, Max Scherzer really hasn't been that good this year. He's got a 401 ERA. His expected numbers say that that's probably about accurate. Um, his velocity's down a tiny bit, but the spin rates haven't been great. He's getting given up a ton of home runs. And um, he's 38 years old and he's owed a lot of money. And, and I know that the the Mets paid a decent portion of that contract, but I mean, Texas is still going to have to pay a lot of money for a guy who's 38 and really hasn't been that great. And then they give up a top 100 prospect for him. Like you're probably getting a, a close to free agent market contract with Scherzer right now. And you, and you are, you know, and you gave up a top 50 prospect for him. Like, I, I don't understand you know, I know the Rangers are be, trying to be aggressive. They want to win now, which is great. But, I mean, it seems like they're making this move off a of reputation of Scherzer's being a future Hall of Famer more so than how good he is right now. So uh, I don't like this move very much from the Rangers. I, you know, we'll see what happens. I know Scherzer is this incredibly competitive guy. and Maybe a change of scenery. He does get back to what he was a couple – you know, the last couple of years. But, I mean – there's some, a lot of red flags with Scherzer this year on this aging curve, and I, I'd be worried to give up a lot for a guy and, and kind of expect him to come in and be an ace when he's kind of had the season he's had. So uh, we'll see. Maybe he come, maybe he gets back to his former self, but, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens here. So here's here's the thing about this and and it's it's funky because this is the first of a couple of trades we're going to see that are a lot like this uh where the Mets just tuck in 35 million dollars into a deal that you know gives off a you know a future Hall of Fame starting pitcher but in exchange they get a top 100 prospect right they did this twice and while I understand that the value is definitely weird, especially given that Scherzer's 38, I wouldn't want necessarily my team to be giving up top 100 prospects for, you know, an aging starting pitcher. Luis Acuna Helicuña is extremely blocked in, in Texas, right? This is a guy who's playing second base at double A, stealing a lot of bases. Uh, but, you know, Texas has 
very long-term expensive money lined up in the, the middle infield right now in Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon. I, I just, you know, I don't know that he would have gotten much running room. You know, he's got Justin Foscue ahead of him at second base as well. I, I get it, right? This is a weird deal. You do get a chance to get Max Scherzer for a playoff run if you're the Rangers. And if he is good, Max Scherzer, you look back on this deal like, who cares, right? If the Rangers win the World Series, it doesn't matter. But if if and when the Rangers lose in the playoffs, you're going to point back to this deal and just be very, very nervous because Max Scherzer and DeGrom would be the you know the big part of the rotation next year as well. And that's a lot of money for guys over 35 who have some injury history and are, you know, getting up there. So eh, the Rangers won't be in on big starting pitchers this year. And this was kind of their 2023 free agent signing basically, but they gave up Luis Acanel Acuna to do it. Funky, funky move by the Rangers, but from the Mets perspective, I mean, they're buying a prospect and we'll see it again. I'll I'll try to talk about it again, but uh, I think we're going to see more of this from teams like the Mets and, and some of these big market teams, you know, taking a big contract, paying it down and buying a big prospect. Yeah, it has a potential to turn into one of those like Jordan Alvarez for Josh Fields type trades if Scherzer is this player that he is for the rest of his career or for the rest of this contract, at least. Um, so the next one we had was the blue Jays and Cardinals. Uh, and that was with the blue Jays acquiring closing pitcher, Jordan Hicks. And the Cardinals got two right-handed pitchers in Sam reverse and Adam Klaufenstein. So David, what do you think about this one? Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, Jordan Hicks is it was in need of a you know a, a scenery change. I think um, he was he he, you know, he and the Cardinals were in the midst of you know contract extension. They noted that if an extension didn't didn't get done before the deadline, they were gonna they were gonna trade him, and no extension got done. I mean, Hicks is twenty six. He's known for throwing one hundred and one miles an hour. Uh, but this year, you know, in, in pretty much every year of his career, he's been a, a high walk guy. Uh, he finally did start striking people out to a to a better percentage this season, right? Thirty one percent compared to his career twenty five percent strikeout rate. But he's just a little too wild to be a typical effective back end reliever, even with that velocity. Um, but right as this happened, Jordan Romano got hurt for the for the Toronto Blue Jays. So this ends up being a really important deal for them, I think, going down the stretch. Yeah, I think that's a that's 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 a good deal. Uh, Jordan Hicks, like you said, his walks are a little high, but you know, he throws really hard. He's finally striking guys out at a high clip, which is something that we haven't seen from him before. Considering the, the velocity he has, you would expect him to be a 12 to 13 strikeout per nine guy, but he's never really done that until this year. Uh, still gets the ball on the ground a ton, uh, has really good numbers. I think that was, he, he's been, he's been awesome. He'll get paid in the off season, but it's a good rental for the uh, Blue Jays. And they didn't give up a ton. The two pitching prospects are interesting. Um, Adam Kloffenstein's got really good numbers at Double A. It's a 22 year old, which is uh, which is definitely interesting. Uh, Sam Reverse, you know, he's a higher rated prospect a little bit, but he's been, um, you know, he, he he's his numbers aren't great, but you know, he's there's something to work with there. So, uh, pretty good move for for both teams. I mean, you got a couple decent pitching prospects for a rental, and the Blue Jays got a really good closer to help them this year. Yeah, so we're going to stay with the theme of Cardinals making trades here. And the Rangers and Cardinals lined up on a trade that sent uh, Jordan Montgomery and 
relief pitcher Chris Stratton to the Rangers and saw the Cardinals receive shortstop Thomas Sagasi, uh, relief pitcher or right-handed pitcher Takoa Roby and left-handed pitcher John King. So Matt, what do you think about this one? Yeah, so this was another interesting trade. Uh, Jordan Montgomery uh, has had a good year. He's been their best pitcher in St. Louis this year. Um, you know, these last few years have been have been really consistently solid for him. He's like a consistent number three starter. Um, and I think that that's a, a very good buy for the Rangers. I think they needed a guy who's going to consistently go out there and pitch pretty well. Um, you know, they, they have Evaldi has pitched well this year. He, he, I think he's on the IL right now, but, um, you know, that they've got like the bottom of their rotation has been rough. And I think Jordan Montgomery adds some stability to that. Chris Stratton's an interesting guy. His, uh, expected numbers are pretty good. He has a 3.05 FIP, but his ERA is a little bit elevated above that at uh two at four thirty six. but he's striking a lot of guys out. The walks are, are manageable. I think he's a, a pretty good, uh, you know, a pretty good uh, relief depth piece for them. And then you look at uh, the prospects in return. You know, you, you got a few guys. Segacy's a, a interesting, you know, infielder. The Cardinals have a lot of success with those types of guys. Um, you know, I think that uh, uh, Roby is a, um, you know, Roby's a, a pretty high-rated prospect. And I'm kind of surprised they got a guy like Roby in this deal. But, um, you know, he, he's got good numbers at, in the minors, uh, 46 innings this year. The ERA is a little high, but his expected numbers are good. He's striking a lot of guys out. I, he's an interesting prospect. And then you look at, uh, you know, the John King. I believe he's been in the big leagues some, but you know, the Cardinals got a, a interesting pitching prospect. Um, and uh, you know, for for a you know a rental. So I mean, in, in a you know in a reliever, they weren't gonna keeping around i think he's a riddle as well so definitely a good trade for the cardinals in my opinion this this reset i think this is a kind of a, a rental type trade that that almost hit expected i think roby's just a little bit higher value than what you would have expected from montgomery return before some of this stuff started but yeah this one felt a little more natural where we weren't kind of like what is this return the selling market is crazy right i mean it, it the Rangers get Montgomery and Scherzer for the rotation. That's ultimately that's going to be pretty good. That definitely improves their, their overall starting rotation. And then Stratton will help their long relief for sure. So overall good, good deadline for the Rangers. Just questionable whether you'd want to give up Luis on Acuna for that. Ultimately. Yeah. I, uh, I also like Thomas, uh, Sagesi. He's been crushing down in uh, in Double A for this entire year. I think he can turn into a. Uh, he's a really underrated prospect right now. Um, Frank Graff says he's tenth ranked for the Cardinals, only forty future value. I feel he should probably be up a little bit higher. But uh, let's jump over to the Angels and Rockies deal that we had here. Fantastic, and, another random guy. Yeah. Uh, so the Angels and Rockies, they lined up on a trade where the Angels acquired first baseman C.J. Crone and outfielder Randall Gritchick for right-handed pitcher Jake Madden and left-handed pitcher Mason Albright. So, David, I know you wanted Crone for your Cubs, but he heads back to the Angels. Actually, both team, uh, both of these guys were started their careers with the yep. Angels. They did. I believe both were drafted in the Trout draft. Gritchick went one pick before Trout did. Yeah. Um, so the Angels had two picks in a row in 2011 or 2010 pick Randall Gritchick first. Uh, but 
he ended up getting traded to St. Louis. Worth noting uh, that Grichik's having a really good season, one of his best seasons by uh, WRC plus, although he has missed some time and been hurt, um, you know, hitting 307, 363 on base, 504 slugging, 120 WRC plus because of cores, but that that line will probably come down a little bit, but the WRC plus might go up. Uh, definitely a, a power bat for the Angels and, and one they're going to be excited about. CJ Crone is doing CJ Crone things. He's going to hit you know, 25 home runs, or at least be on pace for that, you know, 470 slugging, 250 batting average, 260 batting average, 310, 320 on base. I mean, that's just what CJ Crone does. It's what he's done his whole career. He's doing it again this year, uh, you know, league average or so overall value bat in the middle of the lineup, but one that you can definitely uh, be, you know, you count on to, to be reliable and, uh, you know, he'll carry the team for a couple of weeks and then he'll get cold and, and ground out you know, for a week or two. And that's okay. I, you know, for the angels, they just need more consistency in that lineup. Crone can definitely provide that. Grichuk will provide that. He's already got two hits tonight now that I see it. So, you know, I, I think, you know, this move overall might even be more impactful than the starting pitching move, just so that you get a little more offense in that lineup, you know, and that's already a team that's built nicely with, you know, Brandon Drury and, um, you know, I think Hunter Renfro's over there too. You, you, they've got a lot of options. Do the Angels right now, especially with Trout down, with with Rendon down, they're gonna be they're gonna be feeling pretty strong about uh about the offense around Shohei Otani after this deadline. So I like this move. Yeah, I, I thought this was a pretty good move for the Angels. Um, CJ Crone, he's had a he's had a rough year, but he's. I mean, he is what he is. He's going to hit some home runs, and he, like you said, he's going to drive in runs. And their first base situation has been horrible all year. So, yeah. Um, I mean, I think if he's an above average hitter and that isn't embarrassing at first base defensively and puts up like one war, then you're happy with that if you're the Angels. And then you look at uh, Randall Grichuk's have had a really good year. I don't, I don't think he's as good as he's played this year. Uh, the defense is questionable, but you know he's hit pretty well. He has been in cores, which which help which helps him. He has a 363 Babbitt, so uh, that's probably going to come down some to his career normals. But he's um you know it, it's depth pieces that, that that lineup just needed more guys who are legit major leaguers in there because with all the injuries that they've had, it, they've really kind of struggled to to put together that depth. And then the the return they gave back wasn't much. I mean Jake Madden. It's a guy who, you know, he's he's in A ball and got, you know, not doing very well there. Uh, in 64 innings, he has a 5.50 ERA in A ball. And Mason Albright's right. another guy who, um, you know, he's in low A at, you know, and he's he's got a little more upside than than Mad does to me. But I mean, I don't think his stuff is all that good. Um, so I think a lot of people think he'll end up being a reliever, and he really. In, in the past hasn't performed all that well. So I think that, you know, the angels kind of gave up a couple of prospects that probably aren't going to ever really factor in anything for guys who will help them this year, even if it's not like a game changing type thing. So I think it's a good move. Yeah. I do want to note that before we move on that uh, Taylor Ward got hit in the face this week, uh, yes. went down, he's out for the season, facial fractures, and Jared Walsh got DFA'd by the Angels and is now in AAA. So that's kind of the two spots that Grichuk and Crone are going to fill for the Angels. Yeah. And they should be getting um, – uh, Drew Reese was to come back on Thursday, I believe, and Trout's 
already starting to take dry swings. So yeah, uh, should be able to see them remotely soon. Uh, so one trade that we had happened was the Braves acquired Nicky Lopez from the Royals for Taylor Hearn. Uh, Nicky Lopez, utility guy, uh, contact first, not going to bring him a lot of power, but he's good defensively, can play all over the place. Um, so give them a solid defensive guy, and, and maybe if they need some uh, some playing there. Uh, and then Taylor Hearn is a guy we talked about a little bit ago with the – he got acquired by the Brewers, been traded away. In his point one innings there, he has a 108 Point zero zero ERA, so 108 ERA. So do with that as you will. Uh, but let's go ahead and jump <laughs> yeah, over I to wanna, our. I want to add. What? Can, can I add one thing? That type of trade is something that we're gonna that we saw some this year that you cannot re, you can no longer do the waiver deadline. So you have to add any kind of depth you want to the <laughs> team before yeah. that the non waiver deadline. So it just adds a lot of extra just junk trades in there like that one. Yeah. Uh, so let's go to one of the more interesting trades that we had happen. I believe this one is on Friday, and it's with the Guardians and the Rays. The Rays acquiring starting pitcher Aaron Savale from the uh, – or from the – gosh, I can't speak right now. Rays acquire Aaron Savale, and the Guardians acquire first baseman Kyle Manzardo. So, uh, Matt, what do you think about this one? Or David? I thought this was – a weird one. Um, Savale is it's it, it's interesting because Savale is a, a under control and he's a starting pitcher and we've seen what starting pitchers have gone for this year and but his numbers are just weird. Like he is a he doesn't strike guys out, but he did last year and like he even though last year he did have some injury issues and he, he has this year too to a certain level. Uh, but he his his ERA is at a 234. I mean, he's had a great, you know, results this year, but the expected numbers are pretty rough compared to that. Um, and I mean, it's hard to, it's hard, it's hard for me. I, I think he's got a couple years of control, but, and Kyle Manzardo is a very good first base prospect. Uh, he has struggled a little bit at AAA this year, but uh, part of that's BABIP driven. He's in his minor league career. He's been at a 340 to 350 BABIP, uh, but he has, um, you know, but this year it's at 270. So I think that he, you know, uh, he's a guy that, you know, Cleveland really, really needed a, you know, some, some bump in their lineup, some, some better, you know, some better hitters. I don't think he's a, Manzardo is a fantastic power guy. But he could, you know, he could develop into that. And, um, you know, the Rays have had so many injuries in their rotation. They got a guy in there. And, I mean, with with the way the Rays are, you just never know. He'll probably end up being fantastic for them because that's what they do. So, um, but we'll see. It's an interesting one for sure. I do not like this move for the Rays, which means it's a great move. Uh, that's yeah. kind of how I feel, that's, right? That's, that's exactly what I feel. <laughs> like, like Aaron Savale is a fly ball pitcher, right? And he's got a low ERA this season, but his his FIP matches his expected ERA, which matches his career ERA, which is like 3.67. His current ERA is like 2.45 or something like that, right? So, or maybe 2.85. Either way, he, he's got a really low ERA right now. And it's, you know, it's it feels like they were, it's the race. So they didn't just buy Aaron Savale because they're like, oh, this 2.34 ERA is definitely indicative of who he is, right? It's They know they can do something with Aaron Savale, 
I don't know what it is. I think we'll find out. Savale is a controlled starting pitcher, right? He's going to be a free agent at, you know, 2026. So he's got like three more years. Manzardo's blocked. Yandy Diaz, you know, playing first base for them. Luke Rayleigh's at first base. They've got some more, you know, corner infield first base type prospects. Camonero, Isaac, right? I mean, those guys are all going to need places to play. Manzardo was somewhat expendable. I, I would say this is probably an overpay, but... The Savale value was always weird because do you value him as a 2.34 ERA guy or do you value him as a, a fly ball guy who's going to regress back to his career norms? Uh, the Rays clearly have a plan for him, so I'll be anticipating the Aaron Savale Rays breakout that we'll, I'm sure we'll see. Yeah, yeah one thing I, I forgot to mention, uh, I was reading that his curveball by that stuff plus metric mm-hmm. is one, it's of, one the of the tops best in the big yep. leagues. And the Rays have had a lot of success with curveball pitchers. I mean, you look at the what, what they did with Charlie Morton. You look at Tyler Glass now. They've had mm-hmm. a lot of success with that in the past. So that's probably what they're looking for. So if we want to just bring a full circle moment real quick. Um, Kyle Manzardo <laughs> was blocked at first base by Yandi Diaz, who the Rays acquired from the Guardians for <laughs> Jordan Luplo. Uh So real full circle moment right there. So this basically came down to Kyle Manzardo for Yandi Diaz. That's what I'm going to look at it as. Uh, so let's go to the next, <laughs> the next movie had happened, and that's with the uh, Diamondbacks and the Seattle Mariners, with Diamondbacks acquiring closer Paul Seawald uh, and the Seattle Mariners acquiring infielder Josh Rojas. Outfielder, first baseman, Dominic Canzoni, and infielder, Ryan Bliss. So, David, what do you think about this deal? Yeah, you know, this is a – this was weird because the Mariners kind of signaled they were willing to sell and then didn't except for this deal. Um, you know, and they, they have a very strong bullpen. They were trying to deal from a place of strength to, uh, you know, accommodate some more of their bullpen arms. Uh, Seawald's really good. Um, but he, and he's got 21 saves this season, right? But you know, 33 years old, he might have, might have some, you know, under the hood stuff going forward that would worry you, but he was a kind of a dominant closer and Arizona desperately needed a dominant closer. So, uh, you know, Andrew Chafin had not been good for them this season and they hadn't really found anybody that was going to, to, you know, lock down those games. So, so being able to buy Seawald and get a, you know, send off, you know, one of your outfielders, you know, that's high up in the minors and Ken zone who has some major league experience, but wasn't, you know, they've got a glut of those guys. There's just so many guys for, for Arizona. I'm surprised they didn't trade more of them. Uh, and then Josh Rojas and they DFA a few days ago, I think. So, uh, you know, or at least send him down, but you know, Seawald's, He's a, he's a guy who has a lot of slide, you know, good slider, a lot of spin. I I I overall think this deal is fine, right? Value wise for a reliever, it's fine. The Mar- the Mariners going for some some additional hitting is fine, but I don't know that I would have traded Paul Seawald right now. That was the weird part. So, um, you know, we'll see. Seawald will be a Diamondback for this year and through next season. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. So. This is I, I'm I'm with you on this for the most part, David. I, I probably wouldn't have traded Seawald if you're the Mariners because you're trying to compete next year, and and his numbers are really good. His strikeout rates up this year. He has a 2.93 ERA, a 2.97 FIP. Uh, you, those are I know the projection systems don't love him to continue that, but I mean he's his he's been really really good this year. Um, so I think that um, 
you know, the, the Diamondbacks really needed somebody in the back end of their bullpen. They've had some games where they really struggled to close out teams. Um, and I think that that's something that they really just got a, a big piece in. Uh, I was surprised that Josh Rojas went, got sent back just a year ago. He had a, he had a three war season last year in only 125 games, um, had a 108 WRC plus and, but he stole 23 bases too. So he was a really good player for them last year. And uh, the year before that, he put up two war in just uh, in 139 games. So this guy has had two straight years of being a legit MLB regular, which the Seattle Mariners really need that on their roster. They just need decent offensive players and, and more depth there. So uh, I like that acquisition, even though Rojas had not been very good this year. Ken Zoni's just torched AAA this year. So he had really done it in the big leagues yet he's only played 15 games there though 41 plate appearances so it's kind of hard to say about that but he he's, he just absolutely torched triple a um and uh ryan bliss is actually a, an auburn guy so I, i'm really familiar with him and um he was absolutely crushing it double a but that is one of the most hitter friendly environments in in the minor leagues he had a 162 wrc plus in double a recently got pulled up to triple a and, and has struggled so far but uh he's a, a very athletic middle infielder who has a good hit tool um so we'll see what happens with him he could end up being a, a major league piece at some point he's very very small he's like five five so uh but he's a he's a fun guy to watch yeah don't like the diamondbacks getting a uh, legit closer and i'm happy that rojas gets a uh, a fresh start because he was a guy that i've always liked especially the past couple of years and it sucked to really see him um you know struggle so far this year so um looking over at the next one we had the brewers and the mets uh the brewers acquired mark canna and cash while the mets got justin jarvis this is a typical brewers move an aging outfielder that is going to be there for i believe he's only signed through this year if I'm not mistaken, he's got a 2024 yeah, club option. Last year. Um, yeah, club option. Club option. Um, you know, he's an above average bat. He's 107 WRC plus this year, but his you know, past four years before that, his lowest was 117. Uh, so he fits in, gives him a little bit extra, you know, extra. I can't even say pop. He only has six homers oh. this year, but yeah, a little, little extra than they've probably been getting out of that. And then looking at Justin Jarvis, he's a, a starter who is terrible with command and has been getting lit up this year in triple a uh all right in double a but you know probably not much that you're getting for uh for mark canada uh so moving over to uh the next one we had the cubs and the nationals and the cubs lined up on a jamar candelario and the nationals got shortstop kevin made and left-handed pitcher dj hers so matt what do you think about this one um, so I thought this was a fantastic trade for the Cubs. Um, I think that Jamer Candelario has had a really good season for the uh, Nationals so far. He's put up 3.1 war in just uh, 99 games. Um, you know, 258 average, uh, 342 on base, 481 slugging, uh, 121 WRC plus. I, I'm still just bewildered as to why the Tigers, after one off year non-tendered him in the offseason and let the Nationals sign him like I, I, I just I was confused in the offseason as to why they did that and I'm still confused maybe even more so now um but uh I know that I don't think the stat cast loves Candelario but he he's put up really good results this year and he's playing great defense at third base too yep. which has been interesting uh and David can probably touch better on the prospects but from what I could tell like considering the returns that some of the other guys, uh, other uh, rental pieces were, were sold for, 
like these prospects do not seem to be all that you know all that great i mean it, it seems like the cubs definitely got a you know got a steal here for for a rental i mean it you look at you look at dj hers and it looks like a guy who he's got good stuff his changeup is graded as a 70 on fan graphs but he walks a lot of guys and kevin uh kevin made is, is that how you say it made made kevin made yeah. he's i mean he's a high a and not really performing and i mean he's only 20 so he could end up you know being good and he, he's you know good speed and defense but i don't yeah. know if he's really that high end of a prospect so i, I definitely think that this was a uh, for the Cubs to take a measured approach in buying without giving up a ton of future assets. This was a really good trade for them. Yeah, I, I DJ Hers is a guy who has a really funky delivery, and it's going to get him a lot of strikeouts. But he got murdered by the the tacky ball in Double A. Couldn't throw his change up, and I I think he's got a major league future. He was one of those. He was up to like number four, number five on Cubs prospects lists before the start of this season. And the struggles have definitely knocked him back to like 15th on the Cubs list. And I think that's right where he slots in for the nationals. But these are two really talented young players that, that at least I've been following for a long time. And I know, you know, they're they're good dudes they're going to be on on uh potential for the rule five draft and a team like the nationals can definitely roster them to avoid uh, them you know losing them especially dj harris he's the one i think that you're definitely going to want to roster probably give some time to next season in the out of the bullpen potentially just to see if he can you know get any anything for that that funky delivery but you know, I'm super excited to get Jamie Candelario back you know he they, the cubs needed a one more bat right like they they just the, the offense was just a little bit stagnant in the in the lower part of the lineup and being able to to slot in Candelario and you know you can they're doing what they're doing tonight is they've got Madrigal at third Candelario at first they're it, it's enabling them to to sit Seiya Suzuki without really sacrificing anything in the lineup and uh, you know it's going to give them a lot more flexibility he'll also be able to play third base uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm excited. He's, he's been so good, you know, since they traded him away and it was a justified trade back then, but you know, getting him back now and not for, you know, for nothing that, that gives me any pause, I, I'm excited. And, uh, yeah, it'll be a, a fun one for, to follow for the rest of the season. Hopefully he can kind of keep going with the way he's been playing for the nationals. He's already got a hit tonight. So that's a good start. I saw I saw a tweet the other day I thought was funny that uh, for the, like the last three years or two years, ever since the, the Cubs traded everyone away, uh, Kyle uh, Kyle Hendricks has been in the only player from their World Series team. Well, now they got two again. Yep, second <laughs> so. one. Yeah, he's back. <laughs> yeah. So the next few trades, I'll just run through real quick. Um, the Cubs and the Royals got to a trade for Jose Cuas for Nelson Velasquez. Cuas is a relief pitcher, kind of sidearm. Uh, not been great this year, but he's controllable. I think he has two more years of of options available. Um, he's twenty nine years old. A lot, a lot of strikeouts, but gives up some walks there. Traded Nelson Velasquez, um, outfielder who in minimal playing time has been all right at the major league level, a little under league average, but you know one of those that had fallen out of uh, out of order the last couple of years at AAA. Uh, and then looking at the next one was Giants and Mariners. Mariners got a player to be named later. Giants got AJ Pollock and utility guy Mark Mathis. Uh, Pollock has not been good in the last couple of years, but um, notoriously is hit lefties pretty well um, and has been pretty good in the playoffs. So hoping that they can bounce back there. And then Mathis is, you know, like we were talking about earlier with the Nick, Nicky Lopez deal. It's, it's kind of a depth trade for if, uh, if something happens. 
you know, they got somebody in there. Uh, the Reds acquired left-handed reliever Sam Mole from the A's for right-handed pitcher Joe Boyle. Really nothing there, just a relief pitcher for a, a low-level prospect. Uh, Jace Peterson uh, was acquired from the A's to the Arizona Diamondbacks for Chad Patrick. Uh, Jace Peterson's having a, you know, not a really solid year, but is another kind of depth piece utility guy for Arizona, you know, played third, second, left field, DH. They just let um, Josh Rojas go, kind of helps fill that void there. Uh, got another year of control. A's got another, you know, pitcher prospect that uh, they maybe are able to turn into something. Uh, Braves and the Rockies. Braves got left-handed pitcher Brad Hand for Alec Barger. Um, Hand has been not great in his years in uh, in Colorado, kind of really fallen off the past couple years in general. Been really good against lefties, just don't pitch him against righty. Um, and then Alec Barger's another prospect. You're not going to get much out of these guys uh, when you're trading for relievers with only a year or so of control. But um, anything you guys want to say on any of those trades real quick? Um, not too much. I mean, some of the, sometimes you get a reliever with a change of scenery, like like Brad Hand or Sam Mole coming from the A's. Like Brad Hand's case, like you know, pitching in cores this year probably hurt him. He had pretty pretty decent numbers for someone pitching in cores. Like Sam Mole pitching for the A's, there's just got to be something about pitching for that team right now that you know maybe they maybe he ends up you know in, improving on his numbers just a little bit. So uh, definitely interesting. I you know I I don't think any of these move the needle too much though. Worth noting that the Cubs did make a trade there. Velasquez was blocked. We'll always remember the go-ahead grand slam to complete a 7-0 comeback earlier this season. Uh, you know, they weren't using him. So I, I completely understand moving on, and hopefully he does well with the Royals. Yeah. So now let's go to the worst trade of this trade deadline, and that's the Padres and the Pirates. The Padres acquiring <laughs> Dodgers legend Dick Mountain and G-Man Choi uh, and the Pirates. And Cubs legend. Listen, all right, we're not talking about that. Uh, Pirates uh, acquired <laughs> Jackson Wolf, Estar Suero, and Alfonso Rivas. Now that's a Cubs legend. Uh, so David, why don't you Another go break, this, yeah. break this one down? Um, so Rich Hill, obviously, you know, what is he, 42, 43 now? He's 43 years old now. He's just still, still grinding along. Doing what he does, being Rich Hill, throwing up, you know, some decent strikeout numbers, tons of curveballs, um, you know, I, I, you know, high you know, fours, threes and fours ERA, you know, he's just going to give innings for the Padres, and that's really what they're going to need. G-Man Choi is going to hope theoretically help him offensively. He hasn't been good this year, but he's typically a really high walk, high, you know, exit velocity type guy, you know, stat cast darling type of player. Uh, I ultimately don't know how much he'll be able to do, but he will definitely be better than Matt Carpenter, Nelson Cruz, and Rugnet Odor, which is what they were running out there at DH earlier this season. So uh, I think the the Padres do improve here. The big question is whether or not they give up anything of value. And and Estuar Suaro is the the real maybe something here, right? But he's 17. You don't really know what he's going to be, but... I, I could see if we go back a few in a few years and and look back at this deadline and say who was the best player that got traded at this deadline. I have a feeling it might be Estuar Suero. Just he might be one of those guys who just explodes and you just never saw it coming until he was a you know a top fifty prospect for the Pirates in four years. So um, 
there's definitely some upside here, but they're big time lottery tickets. Uh, Rivas isn't, but he'll probably get some run in the second half here. And, uh, you know, he's, he's kind of a quad a guy. I don't, I don't foresee that being anything. So I don't know anything about Jackson Wolf, but Suero did catch my eye earlier today. We were talking about him. I, I, I think he's maybe the most interesting piece of this deal. Yeah. I, I really don't like this trade for the Padres. I, I think that, you know, Rich Hill is 43 years old, and it's fun to watch him pitch. He sounds like a really good clubhouse guy. He's a low-key, like a super big-time immaculate grid guy at this point. Uh, mm-hmm. He's pitched pretty much everywhere. Uh, but he is, um, you know, his numbers are – he's a 476 ERA. The expected numbers back that up. I mean, he's he's okay. Like, he's a five-starter, if that. Like, he's still got the curveballs he throws up there that annoy everybody. But – He's a, he's a good pitcher. Uh, G-Man Choi, I mean, he's had a really bad year. His BABIP is a career low by a lot, so that probably has something to do with it. But he's striking out a ton. He's only played 23 he's, games. He's spent a yeah. lot of time injured. I mean, he's been decent in the past. I mean, he you know, a, a, a slightly above average hitter for, for most of his career. Um, I could see him coming back to being a slightly above average hitter, but I mean, for the Padres team, this doesn't really move the needle for me. Like I know that the situation at DH has been really, really bad, but I mean, I don't really think Rich Hill improves your rotation too much. And G-Man Choi, I don't think really, I mean, it's better than Matt Carpenter, I guess, but I mean, you gave up three guys. I mean, Jackson Wolf has pretty good numbers at double A and has some interesting stuff to him. And then Ed Estuar Suero, I mean, he's a 60 power, 60 speed guy that, I mean, is really, really young. I mean, that, you know, I don't know if you want to give away that type of guy in a season that's, you know, going to be lost, most likely for the Padres, just in case. I mean, he's 6'5", 180, and is a switch hitter that has 60 speed, 60 power. Does that remind you of anybody? I mean, like. Well, it's far-fetched to say. It is. It is. It is. (laughs) It is, but I'm just saying, like, that's the type of player that – and uh, Damien mentioned earlier about that uh, the Jordan for jo- uh, Fields trade a long time. Yeah, this, this is the type of trade. This is the type of trade that ends up being the Fernando Tatis for James Shields trade. Like, and I just don't understand this, you know, giving up on a guy – giving a guy like that up in, in this. I mean, if you give up an Alfonso Rivas and Jackson Wolf, okay, but I, I don't understand it. But either way, we'll see what happens. I think um, – It'll be a. Um, it's gonna be a, It's it's gonna be interesting to see if the Padres are able to to rebound in the second half. It's worth noting that the Padres window is like the next three or four years, right? Like yep. that. They they could. I don't think the Padres care. No, uh, they don't. This, like it, you know this this guy's gonna be if he's good, it'll be five six years from now, and that doesn't help the Padres, right? But do you want to use your chips now on G man, Troy and Rich Hill, or do you want to save up your chips and use them maybe next year, this off season? If Suero, uh, has a really good rest of the season, maybe he starts entering some prospect lists. It, ultimately it, it's fine, right? I think G man, Troy does help their DH situation. I think he will be better than his stat line this season, but yeah, the, you know, using a, you know, maybe a toolsy 17 year old to acquire Rich Hill. It's a little bit questionable, I think, for the Padres. Oh, it's not. It's questionable for the Pirates why they would give him up. Just saying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the next one we had was the Blue Jays and the Cardinals. Uh, Blue Jays acquired shortstop Paul DeYoung for um, relief pitcher Matt Sfonson. Uh 
Blue Jays got a little bit of a scare yesterday with Bo Bichette, um, you know, rounding first base, tried to stop, kind of started holding his knee. Um, they weren't quite sure, so they got another backup option here. And Paul DeYoung, who's a good hitter, having a bounce back season um, for the the Cardinals here, give him a little bit of extra power there and some insurance if, um, you know, if Bo Bichette was going to be out for a long time. Doesn't sound like he will. Uh, and then Matt Sfonson is a 24-year-old uh, who's been at a ball and high A has some good numbers, good strikeout numbers, but um, never really progressed past high A so far. I did see the Cardinals were going to put him at double A, so we'll look and see that one for, for later. But let's get on to the next big trade and probably the biggest trade that we had happen at the deadline, and that was between the Mets and the Astros. We talked about Robertson and uh, Max Scherzer being the sell-off, well, the sell-off was completed, uh, the big-time deals at least, with the Mets sending Justin Verlander back to the Houston Astros, and the Mets are acquiring Juke Gilbert and Ryan Clifford uh, and sending a whole bunch of money along with Verlander too. I know I said it earlier, but I didn't write it down, so you guys can go find that if you want to. So Yeah, I guess I can start. Um, this trade, to me, was... Uh, just I, I have no clue why the Astros made this trade. I, I thought it was a terrible trade. I mean, Justin Verlander has been a great pitcher for his career. He was great last year, obviously, won the Cy Young. This year, he his ERA has rebounded to be pretty good, but his plate dis, his plate uh, his plate discipline numbers, swing and miss number are bad. His strikeout rates tanked. His walk rate is doubled. Um, you know, he's had some good luck on balls in play this year that have kept his ERA down a little bit, some good sequencing. Um, but I mean, he's got a 451 X FIP and he's owed a lot of money, even with it being paid down a lot. And they just gave up Drew Gilbert, who was their first rounder last year and is a top 50 prospect in baseball with a lot of tools. He hadn't been great at double a this year, but, um, He's been, uh, but he's he's a really, I mean, really solid prospect. And then they also gave up, uh, they also gave up Ryan Clifford, who uh, there were. I was reading some things that he would might be even more valuable than Drew Gilbert, according to some people. He he doesn't have the same draft pedigree that Drew Gilbert had, but he has a 138 WRC plus as a 19 year old at high A. Um, you know, at, at 20 years old, or uh, sorry, at, he just uh, turned 20. Yeah, yeah, he just turned 20. He's got 65 raw power, 60 game power. Like, I, I mean, I if I was the Astros, I mean, uh, Justin Verlander could still be good for them, but man, I that's a tough trade to make if you're the Astros. Give up two prospects like that in exchange for a guy who is 40 years old is under control for two more years and paid owed a lot of money in, for two years, even if it is paid down a good bit by the Mets. So uh, I love the deal for the Mets, which I kind of hate that being the case, mm-hmm. but um, you know, I, I, I just, I don't see why the, I don't see this from the Astros. I, I, I it's confusing to me. I, I'm yeah. Yeah. Especially, especially with the fact that he also had the, the no trade clause and was basically trying to force his way to Houston. I mean, you know what, what the Mets were going to either have to hold him or trade him to Houston. So, I mean, they could have probably not given all that up. It's not like they were competing with other teams for it. Yeah. It's, it is felt Jim Crane. Um, yeah. You know, mandated basically, right. Just give up whatever they want. Just get, you know, just get Justin Verlander back. 
it's it's one of those things where it's almost like the Mets sign or the the Astros sign Justin Verlander at the cost of a you know a standard what you we would have expected Justin Verlander to sign for type of deal right like two years thirty million or something like that and then also dropped off two of their top five prospects at the Mets front door in in exchange for it. It's very, very odd why both Gilbert and Clifford were involved in this deal, given that Acuna is probably a closer, like a more MLB ready prospect than both of these guys. Gilbert's kind of struggling at double A. Clifford's not at double A yet. You know, those guys, these guys are a little bit further away, but both of them, that's what really bugs me is why are both in this deal? I think Clifford was, you know, and, and Bob Nightingale tweeted the the deal as uh, Drew Gilbert in a, in a, in a minor leaguer or something like that. And then Cl- it's Clifford is the minor leaguer. He's got 16 home runs yeah. at, at single a right now. He's sporting like a, a 900 OPS. Like, Oh, and that's not just any minor leaguer, right? Like that's, a, you know, that's a, that's a future top prospect essentially. And, uh, you know, I, we'll see if the Mets can screw this up because they tend to be able to do that. But, you know, Gilbert feels like a type of, you know, little slap hitting center fielder who will, who will figure it out and, and go on a run here in, at double A at some point once the tacky ball is gone. And, uh, you know, Clifford seems like a big time power hitter going forward. I, I think he might be the better pit player in this deal, but Mets got better with this trade in the Astros. Rotation definitely needed it, but did, did they need to give up both of these pieces? I just do not know, and we'll, we'll be we'll be looking back at this one as well and saying, "Oh my goodness, why did the Astros do this?" I think for years to come, maybe we will. Um, Verlander did just win the Cy Young with them last year, and he's been really good after the fat, rocky start he had. So maybe it's just what the Astros mm-hmm. need. If the Astros go and win another World Series this year and or next year, I, mean, I don't know if it's really that big of a a thing, but uh, moving on to our next one, yeah, we had the Phillies exactly. and the Tigers. Uh, the Phillies and the Tigers, we had uh, Phillies got Michael Lorenzen and the Tigers acquired infielder How You Lee. So, David, what do you think about this one? So, Loren, you know, this this does actually go back to a rental kind of matching the cost. I, I think How You How You Lee is a was a you know a, a well-regarded prospect for the Phillies, but you know at 20 years old, you know he had a a 115 WRC plus at high A, a bit of a slap hitter, not not a guy with very much power, right? I mean, sitting on like a 45 raw power grade. You know, the question is, is he going to be able to hit enough to to warrant you know major league consideration in the future? He's a small guy, right? Five nine. I understand moving him for a for a rental pitcher and and Lorenzen I think they've already said is going to flex between the bullpen and the rotation for the Phillies. You know, th- this is a, this is a solid value but it is a high end, you know, give for the Phillies to go get Lorenzen and you know, this is the kind of the Tigers only real selling piece. They didn't really they didn't give up any of their relievers, they didn't give up any of the uh the controlled pitching that people thought they might give up street scooball. So you know, this is it for the Tigers, but they do get a good prospect in how you how you Lee. Uh, but he's pretty far away. He's not the type of guy who's going to make any immediate impact. And uh, Lorenzen should help the Phillies in the stretch run. This is a this is overall a pretty even deal. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree. I mean, I, you know, Lorenzen's been all right. 
I mean, he's been he's having a good year, but you know, he's kind of the de- my definition of a, an average starting pitcher. Like he's fine. Like he's gonna have a low fours ERA most likely, and he's gonna probably eat some innings in the back end of their rotation, which is something the Phillies really need. They've got their top two in Wheeler and Nola. And the depth in that rotation has been really bad in, in general. I mean, Suarez has spent some time hurt. Walker has been all right, but he's been a little inconsistent. That five-starter spot's been really rough for them. And uh, they actually moved Bailey Falter today as well, who has been in that spot a lot this year. Uh, but they, um, you know, uh, Lorenzen's all right. He doesn't strike out a lot of guys, but he, you know, doesn't walk a lot of guys either. He's fine. How you Lee, I mean – He's got pretty good plate discipline numbers at, at, at high A. Um, I don't think his power's quite. I think his power might be a little bit better than you give it credit for. I mean, he they there must be they, they grade him a 55 future value on power and and in game and in raw. So I, maybe he's got a little bit of room to fill out, even though he does have a small. He's only five nine. Um, but we'll see what happens with him. I mean, he's at high A, age 20, and has held his own pretty well there. So. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what he does in the future, but, uh, you know, I don't think he's going to be a super valuable piece and Lorenzen, I don't think is a super valuable pitcher, but, uh, it probably helps the Phillies and, and how you lease at least something somewhat interesting for the Tigers. Yeah. It's like another rental piece for, uh, a solid, you know, prospect that you're expecting to get from one of these pieces, but, um, Looking over, we had the Brewers and the Diamondbacks make a weird trade. Andrew Chafin went to the Brewers. Uh, Peter Strzelecki went to the Diamondbacks. It's basically trading an older left-handed reliever uh, that has another year in his contract for a young guy. Um, Peter Strzelecki was really, really good to start this year. Uh, has kind of got hit hard recently. I think even got optioned now, but he has a ton of control. Uh, I don't think he's a free agent until like 2029, so... Trading a, a guy who was a good part of your bull, bullpen, a lefty, uh, signed for only one more year, though, for a controllable guy who's had some some bright spots before. Uh, but let's go ahead and jump over to the Marlins and White Sox uh, teaming up on the the trade that is of Jake's. Uh, Marlins getting Jake Berger while the White Sox get Jake Eater. Uh, so, Matt, what do you think about this one? This one was really, really interesting. Um, Jake Berger has a ton of control left, and he is hitting tons of home runs. He hits for a ton of power, 25 home runs in 88 games this year. Um, I, in my opinion, I think he's a little bit similar to Patrick Wisdom, uh, who, who's who been with the Cubs. He hits a lot of home runs. He doesn't play great defense, but he, he can kind of play third. Um you know, but there's just the, you know, the Marlins need pop in that lineup. They've just got a lot of just, you know, a, a lot of slap hitters in that lineup. Luis Arias, Joey Wendell, um, whoever they've run out there at catcher, whether it's Stallings or whoever else. Like, they they just don't have a ton of power in that lineup. I know they have Solaire, but they need some more pop. And, uh, you know, Berger gives them that in their lineup, and uh, he's been a good run producer for the White Sox this year. Jake Eater is really interesting. He's got a very good fastball, and he's got a very good slider and a developing changeup. The command's not great, but, man, he's injured all the time. He's He's been with the Marlins since 2021, and he's only pitched, like, just barely over 100 innings in three years. He had Tommy John surgery. He came back from it this year, and he's been – kind of similar to what he was before he 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 walks a lot of guys strikes a ton of guys out he's at double a at age 24 and isn't exactly killing it but he's coming off of tommy john and you know he's probably working back 
worked it back in a little bit. So uh, he's ranked as a top 100 on, on some sites. Um, so we'll see what happens. I think he's um, – I think this is a really interesting trade. It, it could be – this could go really, really poorly for Miami, or they could have just gotten a long-term third baseman under team control – a lot of team control for a pitcher who never makes the big leagues. So I think it's just a huge risky, big time risk, big time reward type thing. Jake Berger reminds me of Patrick wisdom in the sense that he hits a ton of home runs and doesn't do much else, Yeah, but that's valuable, right? That's huge value. Uh, especially in a lineup like the the Marlins, which just desperately needs pop and def- desperately needs power. I mean, if you could just bat Jake Berger right behind Luis Arias, you might get, a lot of runs, right? And, and and hopefully Berger can kind of help Solaire stay steady that power offense in this Marlins lineup as they kind of hunt for the the, the wild card spot. Eaters read is is t- too long did not you know didn't read quote quip on Fangraphs is Eater might be lefty Spencer Spencer Strider. Um, you know he's he's had some elbow injuries, but. That's a ringing endorsement in my mind of uh, of Jake Eater's potential, and he hasn't gotten back to it yet this season, right? He's he's walking some guys. He's you know he he spent 2021 in Double A at age 22 and had a 1.77 ERA. He hasn't gotten back to that point yet, but he is missing bats. He's got a good strikeout percentage at 31. percent uh, You know this is a guy with a lot of velocity, a lot of potential. And the Marlins have pitching in spades. I, I like, you know, moving him. Was Berger the right guy to move him for? I don't know, but there really weren't that many options, right? And and then you kind of look and go, well, why didn't they trade him for Candelario, right? Like, that's kind of where I'm at. But Berger's got more control than Candelario, so maybe that's why. I, but Berger's just so much more volatile, right? He's going to have games where he's over four with four strikeouts a lot of the time, and that, that might get annoying, but... He's going to have those games where he hits a, a big mammoth home run in an important spot, and that's kind of what you're you're looking for with this trade if you're the Marlins. Yeah, I think the Marlins have just been looking for that extra guy to bring in some pop. I mean, they thought they were going to have that in Isel Garcia. You know, they brought in Jesus Aguilar. Like, they just haven't had that guy, and you're going to get that with Jake Berger now, who will really help lock down that third base um, spot too now since you traded uh, Gene Segura, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. But uh, a couple moves we had happen were the Rangers and the Pirates. Uh, Rangers had lost their starting catcher, Jonah Heim. Looks like it like it could be for the year. So they acquire Austin Hedges from the Pirates for international bonus pool money. Hedges, not a good hitter, but is a, uh, a good defender. Uh, the Mets and the Diamondbacks. Uh, Diamondbacks acquired outfielder Tommy Pham from the Mets for prospect Jeremy Rodriguez. Um, Pham is having a... Great season, a 127 WRC plus, hitting 270. Um, you know, it's strange that they acquired another outfielder there with the way their outfield's already so stacked. But a guy who hits lefties really well. Um, and then Jeremy Rodriguez is a 17 year old prospect, uh, has been in the DSL this year at 106 WRC plus. Um, so looks like he's going to be more of a hit guy and field guy more than power. But um, you know. That's for Rental and Tommy Fam as well. So uh, let's jump over to the Orioles and the Cardinals. The Orioles acquire starting pitcher Jack Flaherty, while the Cardinals get Caesar Prieto, Drew Rom, and Zach Showalter. So, David, what do you think about this trade? 
So Jack Flaherty has uh, is the Orioles' big uh, deadline acquisition. The Orioles don't give up any of the big-name prospects, Kobe Mayo, Heston Kierstad, uh, Jordan Westberg, some of those other guys, uh, for any controllable pitching. I think that might come back to bite them, but they can do that in the offseason. So, uh, you know, it's fine, right? This is the, the NL East leading Baltimore Orioles by a game and a half right now. Uh, they need pitching help. They they really do, especially in the starting rotation. Flaherty as their pitching help is a little odd. I think he fits right in with their rotation and that he's kind of getting okay results, not really striking out that many batters. Got a little bit of a walk problem, but he's a 27 year old with uh, some really good former you know seasons in the past, especially 2019 when he was a a five war pitcher. Uh, I think they can, you know, he can get back to that, Ken Jack Flaherty, but I don't know that he'll get back to it in Baltimore, where where it's a big time hitters park, and uh, you, you kind of see lefties go nuts there, left handed hitters. So <sighs> Flaherty's gonna you know gonna be a better option than some of their options in their rotation over in Baltimore, but uh, you know this is a team that that didn't give anything of you know big note up they had a lot of prospects Prito is like their 15th or 20th ranked prospect he's interesting but he's also i think uh rule five eligible so he'll he'll be one of those guys that may need to get protected uh this offseason and i think the cardinals will probably put him on the 40 man but you know he, he does feel like one of those guys the cardinals picked up and that'll probably go nuts um the other two guys i don't know much about but you know, this is this is what the Orioles needed. Uh, the Cardinals kind of finished their sell off here. Uh, they don't go they don't go and trade Dylan Carlson. They don't go and trade anybody else. Um, you know, there was a lot of rumors about it, but ultimately they decide to stand pat with everybody who isn't a rental. Uh, so uh, Cardinals will be searching for pitching, I think, in free agency and in the draft. And the Orioles get their pitcher, but I just I don't know if he'll be able to anchor that rotation. And they're going to be relying on like Flaherty, Tyler Wells, and Grayson maybe in the postseason, and that's going to be kind of scary. So Tyler Wells just got sent down. Yeah, it's going to be Kyle yeah. Bradish. Bradish, yeah. This is a this is a very volatile pitching rotation. Yeah, <laughs> they they need Grayson to emerge as the ace pretty quickly here. Yeah, yeah. I think I think this is a good trade for the Orioles though. Uh, Jack Flaherty's got some flaws his he has gotten the walks under control a little bit after the first month or so and he's been a little bit better than he than he was but a 443 era on the season i think he's probably a, a true talent at this point around a four four uh, four era guy uh he could always you know bounce back but I, I i really think he's just a decent pitcher at this point um you know but the the orioles needed that they need somebody and and not to mention the fact that he is—he started playoff games, and and as a veteran, who's you know he started important playoff games. So, you know that's something the Orioles don't have any experience with in any of their rotation arms. And I don't know—is John Means coming back at some point? Yeah, yeah I think he actually he is. Yeah, I think he he, he might be a, a help for them in the you know late in the season too. Who knows what you get from him? But uh, coming off of Tommy John, but like he you know he could be a interesting piece for them. But uh, they really didn't give up anything for Jack Flaherty. This feels like a, a Cardinals. Oh crap, we're, we we got to move this guy because we're not gonna we're gonna lose him for nothing if we don't type of thing. Where you got to the last minute before the deadline and you know you kind of had to move him and you maybe didn't have the market you wanted, but you just got to do it. So I think that's kind of what you saw from the, from the Marlin, I mean, from the, uh, from the Cardinals here. And, 
Because, I mean, the return was, was fine, but it wasn't like some insane return. Predo's kind of interesting. He's the 18th ranked prospect for, for Fangraphs in the Orioles system. But, I mean, that Orioles system is so stacked. He's probably going to be a, you know, 10th-ish ranked prospect for the for the Cardinals. But considering what other rentals got in return, like Giolito, I mean, you, you know, you would like to have gotten a little bit more than that if you're the, if you're the Cardinals. But uh, definitely interesting, uh, and we'll see we'll see how it works out. Yeah, especially since Flaherty was the last one standing of all the yeah. pitchers. Um, and did John Means is nearing a rehab assignment targeting September 1st to be back. So Gotcha. That's not much time before the playoffs. Nope. Um, a couple other ones. Yankees acquire Kenyon Middleton, reliever from the White Sox, uh, broke in with the Angels, having a solid season, really nothing there. They acquired Spencer Howard as well some for some rotation depth. Uh, not been really good this year. Um, at all, so really nothing there. Uh, Rodolfo Castro and Bailey Falter got swapped from the Pirates and the Phillies, kind of like the Edmundo Sosa trade from last year uh, with, with Rodolfo Castro there. And then Bailey Falter is the guy, who, you know, we, Matt said he's been in the number five spot in the rotation. Not been good there, but the Pirates kind of need some people after trading like uh, Rich Hill and stuff into that rotation. So see from there. And then the Angels acquired a reliever, uh, Dominic Leone, uh, from the Mets for Jeremiah Jackson, Leon, you know, the relief pitcher, not having a great season, but, you know, change of scenery, go into a competitive team, you know, maybe you uh, find lightning in a bottle there. He's had some, a couple good seasons before. Uh, so Marlins and the Guardians pulled off one of the more interesting trades of the deadline, and that was the Marlins acquiring Josh Bell. Uh, for Gene Segura and Khalil Watson, and Gene Segura was immediately released from his contract, uh, which is signed this season. I think eight and a half million dollars for next season, and then like a two million dollar buyout uh, was immediately released from the Guardians. So essentially, it's a Josh Bell for Khalil Watson trade. So David, go ahead. Yeah, Khalil Watson had been kind of a a disappointment for the Marlins in the minor leagues this season. You know, he he was uh, one of those guys who fell in the draft. A lot of folks thought this guy's first round talent, you know, top 10. He ended up going, I think, 16th and that people thought that was kind of a steal. He has not performed well and the the fall seems to be pretty reasonable, I think. Um, You know, he's just doesn't quite have it, but it is a, you know, a buy low basically and for the, the guardians and they get rid of the Josh Bell contract, which I think was the big scare um, is that Josh Bell has been a below league average player this season uh, hitting 233. He looks a lot like that second half Padres, Josh Bell that we talked about when he was signed with the guardians uh, where, you know, he's just not hitting for power. He's just not elevating the ball. I, I can't help but think that the Marlins are just kind of, you know, seeing what happens here and trying to get out from under the Gene Segura contract because Segura was absolutely atrocious. Uh, and they're using Khalil Watson, who, you know, he's he's in high A now at age 20, but he's still only got a 104 WRC plus. He just doesn't he's got a 206 batting average. It's you know, he's got a strikeout problem. It's it's really a, a scary profile as Khalil Watson. Uh, and, and maybe the Guardians can figure something out with him. He's he's a long way away, so you know they kind of used the uh, the prospect, you know, the Gene Segura buyout to to buy Khalil Watson. It's a light lighter version of what the Mets did, I think. Yeah, this this was a really weird trade for me from the uh, from the Marlins because 
Khalil uh, trading Khalil Watson is not something I would have been opposed to. He he's been really bad after being that high profile draft pick and. He's fallen all the way to their 13th ranked prospect in a media, in a pretty mediocre system, and is. I, I've, there's been a lot of talk about him having major makeup concerns too. Uh, I think he actually got sent home from from uh, from low A last year, uh, which is not typical. Um, but he he's been he's really struggled, and a change of scenery really could do well for him because I, he does have the athleticism and the raw tools to be a good player in the future. So there's still something interesting there. It's just needs a lot of work. I don't understand. I mean, the Marlins are a team that has this tight payroll concern. I don't understand taking on that AAV of Josh Bell. I mean, you know, it's not like they, and I know Gene Segura offset that a little bit, but it's not like you're, you know, it's it's not like you're getting out of a ton of, you're, you're, you're getting out of money. I mean, you're owing Josh Bell, like, you know, a pretty good bit of money now even though you saved a little bit with Segura. So, I, I mean, I would have just eaten the Segura contract, kept Khalil Watson or traded him to someone else and then not taken on Josh Bell. And that led into our next trade. So I just – I didn't really understand this trade at all from the Marlins' perspective. I thought it was weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you were speaking of that trade. It's with the Marlins and the Padres um, where the Marlins acquired Ryan Weathers, uh, left-handed uh, pitcher, and the Padres acquired Garrett Cooper and Sean Reynolds. So you guys can kind of just continue on with that talk. Uh, you know, about acquiring Bell and basically trading Garrett Cooper. Yeah, so, like, that was the thing. You know, you get Bell and you trade away Garrett Cooper, who's better than Bell, for a guy who is a not great, you know, he's kind of a quadruple A arm. I mean, at, you know, 44 innings at, at, at the in the majors this year for Weathers, has a 625 ERA, a 580 FIP. I mean, he hasn't been very good in AAA either. Um, he really hasn't performed at any level since 2021, where he was decent at AAA. So, I, you know, he was a former top prospect for the Padres, uh, but he, I just don't see too much there. I do think that there's some similarities in the way he pitches to what they've got in Braxton Garrett. So maybe they look at him as a guy they can fix. They've had some good success in the past fixing different pitchers. Uh, but he, this isn't a guy I would have bought and, and Garrett Cooper, you know, he's a fine player. He hadn't been great this year, but like in the past few years, he's been an above league average hitter by a pretty good bit. He's probably more of a DH type. This actually helps the Padres a lot. You, you go with, he's better than G-Man Choi, uh, who they just yeah. got in. And of course you've, you've got a good platoon now. G-Man Choi can hit against right-handed pitching a lot more. And and Cooper crushes left-handed pitching, so it's honestly a it's way better situation than they had with Nelson Cruz and and uh, and Matt Carpenter for a lot of the season. And then you know that I don't know much about Sean Reynolds, but I I just think that it was kind of I just didn't really understand that sequence of trades from the Marlins' perspective. And and I mean I you know I'll, obviously I, I like this from the perspective of the. Um, from the perspective of the Padres, I think they made. I think it's a pretty good move. So, Sean Reynolds looks like a two-way guy. At yeah, he's in two-wayed since 2021, but yeah. yeah, he's been pitching of late. 350 ERA in AAA as a 25-year-old. I, I am as confused as you about the overall shift for the Marlins here, right? They go from Garrett Cooper and Gene Segura and Khalil Watson to Josh Bell and Ryan Weathers. Uh, 
you know, I, I don't, I didn't think Gene Segura was that horrific. You know, we saw the Cubs jump out from under Trey Mancini this season. I'm kind of surprised the Marlins didn't just take that same route, right? Like, why didn't they just DFA? You know, Cubs don't jump out from under Mancini. He's been a negative war player this year. One of the only players who's been worse than Mancini this year is Gene Segura. So him, you know, and that's why the Guardians released him. There's no point in rostering a guy that's kind of lost the athleticism and the contact tool that made him a valuable player in years past. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't, I don't really understand this one from, uh, you know, the perspective of the Marlins, but from the Padres' perspective, good move, right? Yeah, gives you the platoon advantage over there with Cooper and Choi. I'm completely agree uh, that this is going to be, you know, exa- kind of exactly what the Padres need for the stretch run. Uh, they went out and got a couple of guys to help them at DH, and we're going to get to their bullpen addition as well. I mean, the Padres added where they needed to. Uh, you know, they're still pretty far out, but they're definitely not out of it yet. And they're not giving up on this team, even if, uh, even if it's underperformed thus far. Yeah. Um, so let's go ahead and jump to our next trade that we had. And that was the, it's your favorite trade, <laughs> the Dodgers and the Royals, uh, the Royals getting Devin man, Derlin Figueroa. Devin man is, uh, He's a first baseman prospect, uh, hit quite a bit, but he's going to be rule five eligible. Just wasn't going to have a place there. Derlin Figueroa, I don't even know much about him, and I know, uh, you know enough about the Dodgers system to if I had never even heard of him before. So do with that as you will. Uh, the, the return of Ryan Yarborough. Now, this was brought up because of Eduardo Rodriguez from the Tigers. We've talked a lot about it before. The Dodgers and the Tigers had a deal worked out to send Eduardo Rodriguez to L.A. He vetoed it. He used his no-trade clause to not get traded here. Uh, and that was, like, what, 30 minutes until the deadline, I think, or or one hour. It was somewhere right in that timeline. Um, it's from listening or reading to what Andrew Friedman has said so far, they were given no inclination that Rodriguez would veto it until the time the deal was done. Um, and they kind of had their eggs in that basket for a while. Uh, it was kind of too late to pivot to something. Uh, Yarborough was the guy they were able to get done. Uh, lefty has had a couple good years with the Tampa Bay Rays, but uh, last couple of seasons, uh, you know, 424 ERA this year, 429 FIP. It's kind of what he does. Doesn't strike out a lot of people. Doesn't walk much. Um, doesn't give up a lot of hard hard contact. But overall, it's just a very like underwhelming trade for a team that knew they were going to need a starter and missed out on Verlander, Scherzer, who they were supposedly in on Flaherty and Montgomery. They were in on obviously the Eduardo Rodriguez thing, and then at the last second, uh, you know, there was a lot of rumors that they were going to you know, potentially be in a Dylan Cease deal. It was going to happen at the end. And then the deadline comes, Cease stays. And then five minutes later, you get Ryan Yarborough. So it's, you know, Yarborough, I don't hate it. You could see he has a lot of the same similarities to like Tyler Anderson from last year, who the Dodgers turned into a really good starter, um, has an extra year of control and that it's just very underwhelming for a team who was in on the top of the market for starting pitching. And then you've got a guy who was, uh, like a four or something career ERA and fit. So, yeah, this to me just was adding depth. I mean, I, I think the biggest reason we we t- even talking about this is because of the Eduardo Rodriguez thing. I mean, they yeah. kind of got the rug got and got pulled out from under him. And also, that was a, that was a total loss for the Tigers too with this market. I'm sure that they probably had something a pretty big return lined up just because of the way the market's been this year. Um, but 
Yeah, I mean, Ryan Yarborough, he's been okay. He's a depth piece. I mean, in case somebody doesn't come back, I mean, like Bueller to come back, you know, Kershaw's dealt with his injuries. Like, he's just a, a guy who's got major league experience that he's been okay this year. I mean, his, he's, I mean, he's just not, he just doesn't do a ton. I mean, it, and in the return, I mean, Devin Mann has good numbers at AAA, but pretty sure that's like one of the biggest, um, hitter friendly environments in the in the minor leagues in the PCL so um I mean he's 26 years old at AAA I, I you know maybe he comes out he'll probably play in the big leagues for the Royals it's at least somebody who's somewhat interesting for them yeah. uh, and, and Figueroa I, I mean he's on the complex for the first time this year he's really young but I don't think he's too much so definitely uh kind of a you know a disappointing deadline for the Dodgers but you know, you got something here that has big league experience, so I guess it's something. Yeah. I'll tell you I'll tell you what, I bet you guys didn't realize the Dodgers have zero qualified pitchers this season in terms of starters. They not a single one has hit a hundred innings so far. Uh yeah, that is crazy to me. And what's crazier is that the only bolstering that they've done to this starting rotation is Lance Lynn and Ryan Yarbrough, and that's two guys who are just they're just not that that impactful on on another team, right? You know, that's a that's a guy with a six ERA, guy with a four ERA, but that you know typically doesn't strike guys out. I I imagine the Dodgers will find a way to get good production out of both, but I certainly would be under underwhelmed were I a Dodgers fan. Can't imagine how Damien's feeling right now, especially getting jerked around with Eduardo Rodriguez, with Justin Verlander, with Dylan Cease. It's very disappointing for sure if you're coming from that perspective. And I would counsel patience. Walker Bueller's coming. You still have Clayton Kershaw. Urias will probably get right. I, you know, the young guys are young. They're all good. I, I think Miller, Grove, Sheehan, they've got a lot of talent, do the Dodgers. But, you know, they're tried to bolster it with some, some rentals. I, I counsel patience. But I also completely understand the disappointment. That is not what I would have wanted from my my big term, big team, uh, my big market team there. This this deadline. Yeah, it's just about the amount of question marks. I mean, really, like, yeah, the all of those young guys are not, are showing their signs of being young guys now, and like you had a chance to make a move here and you weren't able to pull it off. So, um, so one of the. I mean, we're not going to talk much about it, but one of the more weirder trades, I think it's kind of brushed under the radar a little bit, is the Red Sox and Brewers. Uh, the Red Sox acquire infielder Luis Urias from Brewers for pitcher Bradley Blackhawk. And um, Blacklock, you know, he's a 22-year-old at high A. Looks like he has a good fastball, curveball, struggles with command. Uh, you know, solid overall prospect, but... Uh, you know, Luis Urias was a former, you know, top 30 prospect in the game last couple years. You know, 2021 hit 23 homers, had a 112 WRC plus, 2.1s went above replacement. Uh, last year, you know, 16 homers, a 110 WRC plus, uh, you know, 2.3 war there. Doesn't bring a lot of average, but slugs a decent amount. You know, walks a good amount, doesn't strike out too much. Like, it was a really weird trade to see this you know, the Brewers kind of give up on him a little bit after two really solid years and to kind of get nothing in return. Uh, and then the Red Sox to kind of 
get this when they've already had a bunch of questions about what their middle infield and stuff and is going to look like Urias has played most of his time at third base where you have Devers there and you're getting, um, you know, story back here in a couple days for second base. So it's just a really weird kind of, uh, look at what the, uh, what the Brewers kind of gave up there and then a weird fit with the, the Red Sox acquiring Urias. But, um, yeah, overall, uh, let's go ahead and jump to the last big trade that we kind of want to talk about. And that's with the Royals and the Padres, uh, the Padres acquiring Royals closing pitcher Scott Barlow for Henry Williams and Jesus Rios. Uh, so Matt, what do you think about the Padres acquiring Barlow? Yeah, I thought that was kind of an interesting one. Um, Barlow hasn't been very good this year. His walks are way, way, way up. But I mean, it kind of a similar situation to what we've talked about. Some of the guys going from Colorado or going from Oakland, going from the Royals somewhere else could be a, a benefit. You know, I'm sure he'd be a little bit more locked in wherever he goes. But a 5.35 ERA is rough. The the FIP and the expected ERA and stuff are, are, are better than that. He is still striking guys out a lot. The stuff still plays. Um, but, I mean, he hasn't been great this year, and the Padres need middle relief. They didn't have to give up a ton for him. Rios is a guy in the Dominican Summer League as a pitcher right now and hasn't really performed well there. And then Henry Williams is a prospect that's interesting-ish. He's pretty low on their, um, in their organization right now. He's, he's put up you know, pretty subpar numbers at, 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 uh, at low A. But he's 21 years old. He, you know, he might he has some form of stuff. He was the number 22 prospect in their pretty weak system, so uh, they didn't give up a ton. And, and Barlow's at least got some interesting. Um, he's got he's at least interesting, uh, and, and he is under control next year. So if you can fix him, you know, you've you've got him again next year, which is definitely going to be a year that the Padres try to contend. So uh, I don't hate it for that reason that they got a guy that. It's gonna, you know, that can help them contend next year. But uh, definitely an interesting, uh, definitely an interesting move. We'll see if Barlow can help them this year. Yeah. So, I, I, looking at it from the Padres' point of view here, the Padres have uh, one player with a strikeout rate at Scott Barlow's twenty-seven percent strikeout rate or above, and that would be Josh Hader. So <laughs> Barlow provides a a swing and miss option that just isn't there in this bullpen. Steven Wilson's been he's got twenty six percent strikeout rate. He's right there with him. But yeah, the rest of the Padres bullpen is like Tom Cosgrove, twenty four percent, Nick Martinez, twenty four percent, Drew Carlton, twenty one percent, Luis Garcia, twenty two percent, Tim Hill, fourteen percent, right? Like they just do not have very much whiff in this bullpen and they needed something, you know, and I think you could plug Barlow in the seventh and the eighth, at, get me you know, a guy who can just go up there, huck that slider, let him go in and, and, you know, throw that, that as much as he can and try to get some whiffs with it. And, uh, you know, it'll take him out of that pressure role that he was kind of facing as a, as the closer in, in Kansas city. But then again, right. The pressure wasn't really there. The team was terrible around him i i think you know he'll get back locked in and, and he'll be able to help the padres on this stretch run he was a guy that we've talked about getting moved for a long time and he was almost one of the last players moved at the deadline uh he's under control until uh, after 2025 you know this is a as far as i can tell just another one of these moves that the padres performed that's going to help them on the margins and try to get them back in this wild card hunt you know eight and a half games behind the dodgers i don't think they're going to have any sort of chance at getting there but 
you know, they're only like five and a half out of the wild card right now. I think they're, they're going to have every opportunity to catch the Marlins, the Brewers, some of those teams. So uh, I'd look out for the Padres going forward. Uh, sorry, Damien. <laughs> no, no. I mean, let's not forget that they just got Robert Suarez back too, who was a big yeah. time reliever for them last year. They signed him to that big contract in the off season. He's been out most of the year. I think he's pitched a total of five innings so far. Um, he has a, a lot of swing and miss strikeout stuff as well. Cause that high, high hundred mile an hour plus fastball. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, we all expected the Padres to be good, you know, to become the coming into this season kind of looked like they were going to sell there for a while. They turned into a, a little bit of a buyer, but you know, if you would ask me a week ago, I would not have picked them to be the most active team in the, uh, in the NL West. I think them and the Dodgers were, were pretty close to each other, but I think it'll feel like the, uh, the Padres made some more impactful moves. Yeah. But, uh, you know, they're going to make it. It's going to be tough to make a run there. You're going to have to jump what four teams. I think they're going to have to jump to get into one of the, the wild card spots mm-hmm. uh, or at least three teams. I think it's probably three now with the, the Mets kind of selling off there, but overall, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a solid trade and it, it gives them a little bit of backup too. If Hader does leave in the off season, you're going to have Barlow and Suarez already for the back end of that, that uh, bullpen there. But man, that is the <laughs> trade deadline recap. We hit on what thirty nine or forty trades, something like that. Here, we're in a, an hour and a half into this, and um, you know, before we totally just end this show, give me your guys's each just a real quick synopsis and overview of what you thought about the trade deadline and the moves that you made, and maybe one move that you're most excited to see the way it plays out. Uh, I guess I can start. Uh, I thought that this was a really weird trade deadline. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it where it was such a seller's market that it was almost hard to get anybody. And there was a lot of guys that didn't get moved. Um, I thought that teams that were that are in first place and, and are you know considered favorites right now, uh, with the exception of maybe the Rangers, just did and, and maybe the Astros just did not add anything. Uh, like the Dodgers didn't add anything. The Braves, I mean, they added a couple of relievers that they needed, but the, they, they're not like back end guys or anything. Like you look in the in the American League, and, and you look at the Orioles as a team that I thought could probably have added a, a, a second starting pitcher at some point. Um, the Twins didn't add anything as a first place team, uh, so you know there it was just such a seller's market that like and there just there was so such few available such little availability and then you had the Eduardo Rodriguez thing where he ended up not getting moved at all he was one of the like three or four guys you were expecting to get moved so i, I think winners and losers i think the tigers are a big loser in this deadline just because they had one of the top starting pitchers in the market didn't move him uh i think that you know that like you said the dodgers get knocked out of that trade that that really hurt them the reds i think could have made a move Although, you know, a couple of their big moves soon are, are Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo coming back could be big for them. But, um, you know, I think that, um, you know, and, and I think the Mets were a big winner here. I, I'm, I oh, hate yeah. saying it, but they got some good prospects. They they even got out of a little bit of money from, from the Scherzer and Verlander contracts, and, and they got some really good-looking prospects. Uh, so I, I think they were a big winner. Um, I think the White Sox did pretty well. Uh, they sold a lot. And, and, and hey, I want to shout out the Rockies because they actually made some moves this year. Um, 
mm-hmm. I think that uh, that was something that we haven't seen in the past. Them actually make moves, and, and these these guys have. This is the type of moves they miss every single year, and you never know when one of those guys they move like a you know like a Jake Madden or Mason Albright figure it out. You know, you never you never know when something like that might happen. So, um, I think that those three sellers did really really well in what they got back. But uh, it's going to be interesting. It sets up uh, the, the rest of the season. Um, you know, I, I don't think there was any just massive shifts. I think that the the top the AL West was probably the most active, and I think the Angels made themselves good enough to kind of stick around. We'll see if they end up being able to get it done and get into the playoffs. But um, you know, the Astros and Rangers are kind of in an arms race, and both made real similar types of moves. So. Uh, we'll see what happens. I, I, it's going to be very interesting. I don't think it changes who the favorites are right now, but um, you know, you never know when one of these pieces that got traded, the change of scenery just makes it makes them hit big time. So uh, definitely an interesting trade deadline, even though it was not a ton of big moves made. It was interesting to see it go down, and uh, it'll be uh, leading to the second half. It's, it's going to be fun. I think Matt nailed the winners and losers, so I won't I won't provide the same names. What I will do is tell you my my favorite potential trade to watch out for going forward. That's the Marlins and the White Sox going for Burger and Eater. Yeah. I think that one has the, the potential to be the biggest win-win on both sides where both of those guys are really good. My runner-up on this one and the one I think will be the most overall impactful trade in the future is the Manzardo for Savale deal. If Savale gets raised up and, and becomes the raised starting pitcher that everybody kind of thinks he will be, and Manzardo goes and just cements himself as the Guardians' first baseman, that one might be a league, like a, a gravity shift in the league where the Rays kind of, you know, they, they might lose glass now in the in the future, right, to free agency. And, you know, they, they're, they've got a lot of injuries and, and a lot of instability. But all of a sudden, if Savali comes in there and kind of transforms into an ace, and the Guardians finally get a big hitter at first base that can kind of fill the shoes of, you know, the the guys that they've kind of lost, like Francisco Lindor. I, that that could be huge, I think, for both the the AL Central and AL East. So those are my two trades. Also really excited about uh, Jamer Candelario being home with the Cubs. That one's exciting. Well, I'm excited about Ryan Yarb. I'm just kidding. Um... <laughs> Uh, you know, it's going to be interesting, obviously, Homer here, the Lance Lynn, how that one, if he's going to be able to turn into the guy we've seen, uh, you know, prior. Uh, but the team that I really want to see how it works out for is the Texas Rangers. Are you able to figure out Max Scherzer? I think he's back with Mike Maddox, too, um, which maybe they could they could figure some stuff out there. Jordan Montgomery go in there as well. I think that's a really nice pickup. We're, we already know that DeGrom's out. Um, you know, there's been some stuff about Nathan Eovaldi's been on the IL or going on the IL with an elbow issue there. Uh, yeah, Dane Dunning, but you know, to kind of get that, I mean, you're looking at a Max Scherzer, Nathan Eovaldi, Jordan Montgomery, like top three now, like that's a lot more formidable, uh, going into the playoffs there. So, and then how the Angels moves work out. How does Lucas Giolito, Reynaldo Lopez, CJ Crone, Randall Gritchick, you know, the, you're going to be getting Drew back soon. You're going to be getting Mike Trout back soon. You might get Anthony Rendon back. Who the hell knows there? But, uh, you know, they've made some good moves too. I mean, Mike Moustakas has turned out to be a really good piece for them. We didn't even really talk about that one. Um, so really the Angels and the Rangers are the two teams that I kind of want to see how this really 
this really works out for because angels need this good run if they really want a chance at keeping Otani. Um, and they've put themselves in position uh, for that. But anyways, we're an hour and 40 minutes into this one. So I think that's pretty much going to wrap it up here for the trade deadline recap. Um, you know, if anything else, you know, happens, if, you know, if we get some more information on maybe some of these other prospects or whatever, we might talk about it here in the future, but uh, it was a wild, you know, couple weeks leading up to the deadline. Deadline day was a little um, underwhelming, but overall it was jam packed. Thank you guys for listening to us for an hour and 45 minutes ramble on about this. Uh, and we'll catch you guys back next week.